All right, welcome back for Book of Experts TV. And we have a special edition for you today, special because normally we do our master classes on Monday, but this was a topic that I know you are experts and entrepreneurs. You're thinking about this already, but maybe you, maybe you need some guidance. Maybe you need a little bit of uh, clarification. Maybe you have some questions out there because tax season is right around the corner. And so we're actually bringing on, I'm gonna ask her to join us now, uh, Lisa, Lisa Nicer, who is joining us from cold and windy and snowy Chicago. We were chatting about that before we mm -hmm. jumped on. I'm actually down in Miami, so uh, I'm not going to gloat about it, but yes, it's pretty warm down here. <laughs> um, but we're going to talk about the five things that entrepreneurs need to know, not only to save money on their taxes, which is a huge topic. We all are interested in that, but equally, how to avoid that dreaded audit how to prevent that happening in your business because you're taking care of business the right way. You're, you're documenting things. You've got your house in, in, is in order and you've got five tips for us that we're going to be walking through in uh, today's masterclass. Excited to have you join uh, Lisa. Lisa is one of our new premium members in Book of Experts. So excited to uh, talk a little bit about her, uh, her uh, 18 years plus as a tax accountant. Um, I think you said over 20 years in business, right? Uh, 25. Yeah. So um, <laughs> we were saying, you know, as entrepreneurs, we, we, you know, it's just built into us that we project and think forward. This is where we want to go. These are our big dreams and visions. But every once in a while, you have to take a moment, stop, turn around and look back and mind the game. Look at how far you've come to get to where you are now, because part of that doing that process is going to propel you forward as well. It's part of building that momentum and the really honestly appreciation for what it takes because uh, you are an expert, you are an entrepreneur and the world needs you more than ever. Folks like Lisa are gonna step in to support you in the way that you need so you can make your dreams happen. The world needs more entrepreneurs right now. The change that we need is not gonna come from these big governmental levels and big organizations. It's gonna come from people like you. So that's why we want to support you at Book of Experts with folks like Lisa. So with that, with that said, Lisa, um, how do we get started here? I know you've got five topics, but from a big picture, uh, mm -hmm. you know, the the employee tax, you know, April is traditionally known as the tax season, but really it starts in January. Entrepreneurs are thinking about this now. What do they need to know and how can we get them started the right way? Well, and first of all, thanks for having me on. This is great. I just, I love educating people. And I think this year, especially with the pandemic, so many people had to pivot or do consulting that taxes are really different. So getting educated, understanding, not so that you can do your own taxes per se, but you can be a smart taxpayer and ask good questions is really key. I think one of the things people have to realize is that the IRS is short staff right? So if you're just a W-2 employee, you're probably not getting audited. I mean, let's get real. There's nothing to cheat on, right? I mean, like, what are you going to put on there? But once you become self-employed, all of a sudden, it's not that hard to put personal expenses as business expenses and do stuff. And the IRS is on to that. So you need to be really smart about it. If you're going to run a business, you got to run it like a business. Now, I've never had anyone that I whose return I've prepared be audited, but I have been hired to represent people. So I know exactly what they're looking for. And they want it all. They want to know everything. And it's a real pain in the butt to go back and recreate stuff three or four years later when they actually audit you. So just if you do it smart from the start, run it like a business, you're set. And I tell people, you don't want to do this just at tax time. Because here's the thing. Yes, it'll get you your tax return done. 
But in order to be a good business person, you need the information throughout the year so you can be making good decisions. It's not just about the tax time. It's, is this working? Is it not working? How much should I spend? Do I need to spend more? I mean, it's all that that's really the important part of it. The tax return is just a step there. I tell people it's kind of your tax return, whether you're employed or self-employed, it's like your annual view of work. It should just be a summation of all your discussions through the year. There shouldn't be any surprises if you're doing it correctly. But people are like, oh, I have no idea. I'm like, it shouldn't be. So. Yeah, I, I love this point because I think, uh, again, as entrepreneurs, we tend to project forward and we have these goals that we set for ourselves. Uh, and we say, you know, I want to be here in my business. I want to earn, you know, the income at this level and I want my team to be this size. Whatever you're thinking about what that future looks like for you. But a lot of times to reach that future, we need to become a better version of ourselves. We have to level up ourselves to become that leader that can reach that new vision. And a lot of that is, for example, making data-driven decisions, which as you pointed out, this conversation about taxes isn't just a once a year thing. It's do you have good records so that you're seeing the numbers and you're making your decisions on what's actually working, not your gut instinct of what's working, but you have the bat, the uh, factual proof in your business, in your ledger uh, that's showing you that this makes sense and you should do more of this or maybe cut away some of the uh, prune away some of the things that aren't working as well for you. I love that that perspective on it. Yeah, that's the part I like about it because we're just, you know, as I mentioned to you, like I'm so passionate about the education side because think about it, we interact with tax and money every single day of the year and we're not taught about it. I mean, it's ridiculous and it's stressful. So just having an understanding, I think is good. So I think these five things, if you do nothing else, just knowing these five things and like just doing the basics will serve you really well. Yeah, and, and solve probably a big chunk of the, the, the hairiest problems. If you just, I love it. take, let's take a simple approach. Let's just focus in on the five. So Lisa, I'm guessing that, um, you know, the first item on the list, you, you've kind of teased this already. We've got to keep better records. Tell me more, a little bit more about that. Well, the first one actually is keep everything separate. So if you're going to run a business, run a business, open a separate bank account and have a debit or credit card for it. Because if they audit you and you don't have it, they're gonna go through your deposits and that check for $5,000 from grandma, they're gonna be like, well, that's income. And you don't have any way of showing it, right? So like for me, every single client deposit gets put into my business tax you know, bank account. And then I just transfer it right in, but I have a very clean audit trail. I do each one separately and it's really separate. And then the same for your um, expenses. Use that debit or credit card for everything. One, it'll be easy in case you're not as good to catch things that you miss so you're not paying taxes on stuff you, you don't have to, but it's really clean. So um, you must, must, must keep it separate. It's just, you, you don't even have to have a fancy bank account. Like I just have a separate Lisa Nicer bank account, but just it's gotta, gotta be separate. Um, and that's something that they really look for. Yeah, so separate accounts, and I also like this, I, I do this myself, we have a, a business uh, credit card that we use and funnel the uh, all the business expenses through that because it's it allows me to do my tracking, I can see it in one right. place, right. I've got a separate one for, you know, the home right. and family stuff, yeah. And it's not that hard these days, I mean, you know, everyone has different credit cards, you have it on your Apple Pay, it's like, just use that one, It it it's not hard things we're asking you to do. Super. But you did have a second one, which is keep good records. So, like I joke, 
my kids and I like watching Say Yes to the Dress. This is Say Yes to the Receipt. Okay, they, get, they don't want to just see the credit card statement. They want the receipts because they want to know exactly what it is. So I don't keep receipts for personal stuff. I'm at the point where I charge everything. And as long as my bills between X and X, I could care less what I spend it on. But they want every receipt. So I keep every receipt. Um, if it is not a full piece of paper, I actually tape it to a piece of paper because then it's really easy in your file drawer that like it's not little pieces of paper. I just use recycled paper and, and stick it on there. And if it's not blatantly obvious what it is, you take a note like lunch with Tobin to discuss XX or if it's postage mailing to whatever. Now, I discovered a very cool thing that the notes app on your iPhone can be used as a scanner. So everybody has access to a scanner. So either your your uh, camera on your phone or your notes app that is a scanner. If you are really bad about it when you have the receipt, just take your phone out and take a picture or scan it and make a folder and keep it. So at least you're not losing stuff. I mean, there is really no excuse for this whatsoever. Or some people create a separate like email for their business. So all the business receipts just go to that email. So it's easier to just find those in your email. Because I'll, I'll admit it, even me, I actually for the first time, did work on my tax return this weekend because um, I was working on the tax software. I missed stuff and I had to go back and look at it. And it's hard to like find everything and find the receipt. So if you could just do it up front, I have a file drawer behind me here and I just shove everything in there and then I enter it into my software. Uh, the thing too with the software is you don't have to use Quicken or QuickBooks. I mean, it depends on the extent of your business. I like it because I have people, I mean, I have people use the yellow pad method. I mean, it really is not great because your math might be off. Um, and I have people use Excel spreadsheet, but that doesn't give you the best information because the software lets you see last year to this year. Do you know what I mean? And that's really valuable. Like, where was I at this point? Oh, did I spend so much in this category? It didn't pay off. And it just gives you a lot of good information that a spreadsheet doesn't. Now, for tax return purposes, it's not necessary. But like we talked about, it's not just about the tax return. It's really about making, I tell people, if you don't make money, you're not going to stay in business. So you really need to understand this. I mean, it's all nice and fine, but if, you know, you got to make money. Yeah, we're, we're, we're running a business here, not a hobby. So uh, if we're going to make those data-driven decisions. <laughs> um, so uh, one question I have for you, Lisa, about the receipts is, um, so it sounds like when we when we do segment our spending, you know, for example, using a uh, a business credit card, those credit card statements are not enough. They want to see paper records. I mean, if you don't have anything else, it's better than nothing. I haven't um, represented anyone in a long time, so you know we're much more electronic than we used to be. But they really want to see it now. If because how do they know that you didn't just put a personal thing on that credit card? Do you know what I mean? It's like they could see it's toner. It's, you know, Amazon doesn't really tell you exactly what it is. If you just see Amazon, it could be anything. I mean, so um, I just think it's a good, it's a good practice to get into. Yeah. I mean, when I represented someone, they literally, they had a Schedule C business and then they had some rental properties and home office. They literally wanted a cover sheet for every expense category with all the little line items and the receipt for it underneath. That's what they wanted to see. And that's a lot of work to recreate. If you, I mean, you are good. They may not disallow everything, but they know they got you. Do you know what I mean? They did, when I did that one, the guy, you know, we calculated out, um, you know, he didn't do any tax prep, but the things he inadvertently did wrong. So we calculated out how much we were willing to like 
you know, negotiate to literally 15 minutes into it. She's like, no changes. I'm like that catfish, like nothing. She had seen that it was so clean that the odds of finding me and everything are not good. The more messy and disorganized you are, the more chances you're going to get really burned. Yeah. So they're, they're really looking at the, at the presentation of the mm -hmm. records, the background that you're bringing to the table as part of the picture. Like they're, you know, it, they're not going to waste their time when they can see you got all your ducks yeah. in a row. Yeah. No, I'm like, geez, I should have charged him more. <laughs> <laughs> I audited him better than they did. Yeah, yeah, totally. So, uh, so keeping things separate, you're, you're, you've got a business, you've got you, and it's not the same thing. Uh, keeping good records, that's number two. Uh, where are we at with number three? All right, so number three is knowing what's deductible and what isn't deductible. Because, and this is that a deduction's not free. So everyone remembers the Shit's Creek episode where he's like, that's a write-off, that's a write-off, that's a write-off. I always tell people, don't buy it if you don't need it. Because even if it's tax deductible, you're still paying probably 60 to 70% of it. So you're still spending money that you, you know, people are like, oh, I got it on sale with a coupon. I'm like, but you didn't need it. I'm like, it's so knowing what is deductible and what isn't is really good so that you are spending money on things. Listen, if it is a ordinary and necessary expense that's needed for your business, that is what is considered a tax deductible business expense. So whatever is correct for your industry. Now, what I, I want to cover with you is like a couple things that people think are tax deductible, but aren't because those are the biggest ones. Like most things people get advertising, web hosting, cell phone, marketing. I mean, like that's continuing it, life, you know, professional services, coaching. Right, so there's, um, I think I have like five or six here. So the first one is clothing. People are like, oh, well, I have to dress nice, you know? And I'm like, unless you have um, an outfit that you cannot wear for everyday use. So you're a flight attendant. You're not going to wear that in everyday use. Um, it's just not deductible. So people are like, ah, you know, no, not deductible. And if you are able to do it, even the dry cleaning is deductible. But that one, people are like, I'm like, sorry. I mean, can you imagine how much the economy would grow if we could deduct clothes? It'd be awesome, right? So that's a big one. Um, the other one that was a change in um, Trump's first tax bill is you used to be able to deduct meals and entertainment. They got rid of the entertainment side. So you could take people out for meals, but you know if you're taking them to um, the Super Bowl, that's not deductible. Now I say to people, there is still value in doing that because that might help you get the business, but just know that that is not deductible. So keep that in mind when you're deciding what to do. Now, there is a change for 2021 that's really interesting, actually, in the meals and deductions, is that for 2021, it's usually 50% of meals is deductible. For 2021, it's actually 100% of meals is going to be deductible. Um, and they're doing that to try and help the restaurant industry, like, get people out doing stuff. So once we can actually get out, it was actually one of the practical, logical things they have put into place. I'm like, oh, that actually makes sense. Um, so right now it's 50%. You still need to put in the 100% and the tax programs take the 50% because you're not taking your share of the meals. But that's an interesting change for um, 2021. And they might have, who knows, going forward. I mean, they're changing stuff so quickly with it. But I just want to highlight that because that is really different. But the entertainment, no. So, um, you know, it's good for marketing and it's an important part of business. But just keep that in mind so you're not spending more than makes sense for you. Yeah, um, I had not heard the uh, 100% uh, yeah, deduction for 2021. And, so and that is currently set, it's a, it's sunsetting it's at the end there. of 2021. Yeah, no, it's in there for 2021. Mm -hmm. So I keep, um, I post a lot of tax tips on LinkedIn 
and I do post a lot of it, but I also have an email newsletter. So if people want these kind of updates, they can they can go to that. Um, the other um, thing is big... Lisa, I want to uh, jump in too. Uh, tell, tell us, because I want to get this, we'll do it again at the end, but for folks that do want to go a little bit deeper with you, you have a, so this, we're doing a masterclass conversation, folks. You're, you're not going to get all the information in right. 30 minutes, <laughs> but you're going to get a really, some really, these five points that you can kind of think about at a high level. And then Lisa, you have a course that you do that is really inexpensive. It's a great deal and it's a great starting point for new entrepreneurs if they want to sort of get their house in, in shape. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? And we'll we'll hit it at the end too. Just so yeah, people... absolutely. One of the positive things about the pandemic for me is I've been talking about doing these classes forever and this kind of gave me the like push to do it. So I created a class, um, what new entrepreneurs need to know about taxes. And um, there's a link to it on my website. Um, the website for the education one is taking on taxes together. But if you go to my Lisa Nicer website, there's a, a tab on there that will get you to it. And it's an on-demand class that gives you the big picture stuff. So I do not want you to be a tax expert. I really think if you're self-employed, you need an accountant, a good accountant. Um, but it gives you, I tell people, it's so that you know the stuff that's deductible and not deductible. You understand how self-employment and other taxes work. And you can ask good questions. Questions like you can be a smart taxpayer and help your accountant save you money. Okay, so it's $97 and it's taxed, but that one is tax deductible. <laughs> so it's probably like $60. And honestly, I priced it like that because I just want to help all these people that had to pivot. Like I had a different price. I'm like, that's not my goal. Like I'm not here to make get rich off of this. Now, if people do have topics for other classes, I love teaching. So I'm going to put more out there, but this one is just there. And, I actually like the on-demand because you can pause it and replay it. You can only listen to so much about taxes before your eyes roll back in your head. Um, and I also give people the opportunity with that to purchase an hour consultation at half my hourly rate. So if they have personal tax questions or need help, we can do that afterward. But um, that's in there. And the link to the um, email newsletter is on that page as well, the, the taking on taxes. But, uh, awesome. Yeah. So I, I, I have that in our comments. And just for folks, if you're catching uh, podcast version of this is taking on taxes together.com. And so you can access several of these different uh, resources that Lisa has mentioned. Lisa, let's come back. So we were on item number three. And oh. specifically, you were talking about some of these items, understanding whether they're deductible or not, and you were navigating us through is there anything else on your list? Yeah, for number three? A couple more. So um, the next one's actually I get a lot It's the value of your time. So people think like, People come to me, oh, can you donate tax prep services to this auction? It's great. It's tax double. It's not tax deductible. So the value of your time is not. Now, if I were an artist and I donated a piece of art, I could deduct the cost of the supply, so the canvas or whatever, but the value of your time is not. But just like the entertainment, there is value to doing that because one, the organization gets money, you get free PR, hopefully you'll get a client that comes back or whatever. But the people running these things don't even understand that. And it's people that I'm like, I'm like, you know, I do bookkeeping helper for my synagogue. It's like, I just do that out of the goodness of my heart. You cannot deduct that. So that's one that people just aren't clear about. So you should give and give and give. You get by giving, but it's not tax deductible. Right. Understood. Yeah. Um, penalties is a big one. So like, for example, I have realtors that get parking tickets here in the city all the time. <laughs> Business, not deductible. Okay. Don't pay things late. It's not deductible. Okay, <laughs> don't do that. You know, there. Um, and then it, this one is interesting. Yes, this law has literally been in place for the 25 years I've been doing taxes. You can only deduct gifts up to $25 per person per year. Okay, that is the lowest, like, 
like if I were self-employed and I had an assistant, like a like I couldn't give them a $25 gift. Like I would get like that's terrible. It's been there. So you still need to do it, but just realize that. Now there are certain industries where that is standard practice. So then it might be classified as something different. So for example, in real estate, it is very standard to give a closing gift to a client after you help them. I put that in advertising because that's just that's what that is. It's marketing and advertising. But in your um, on your Schedule C or your tax return, there's a code for um, the category of business you're in. You want to make sure that that's correct because the IRS has audit tax uh, audit guides for different industries. So they have things that are pretty standard for each industry. So that won't trigger the audit like alarms if that's standard for that industry. So you want to make sure you get that as close to correct as you can. Um, most of us are just in service industries, so there's just a general service code. But if you're doing something different, you definitely want to get that correct on there um, because that will also help you, you know, not get triggered. On that. Um, so so yeah. on the triggering, it sounds like they're really looking for the anomalies. When something looks out of the ordinary, yeah. that's what's catching their eye. They're going to exactly. dig in deeper. And now you're in a situation where you've got to play defense on the audit process. Is that right? You can exactly on it. So in the class, I go through and I list the categories that are shown on the tax return. And I tell people, make your books match the tax return. So use these exact categories. And if you want subcategories, that's fine. But then it's really easy if someone asks what's in this, you're like, here it is. I mean, it's nothing where you just show that you're doing business as a business, right? So it's like, if you're setting up, set it up with the categories that are there. Now, a lot's under other because yeah, I don't even use half the ones on there, but that's on there. Um, and then the last one that I got is vacations with a little business thrown in. People are like, I'm going to write off all my trips. It's like, I just want to go on vacation. Let's just get real about this. So the rule with this is it's got to be primarily for business to write it off. So if you go to visit Tobin for a conference in Miami and it's a week-long conference and you stay an extra night, that's fine. You can write that off. If you go to Miami to go look for uh, rental properties and you spend half a day doing it and you spend 10 days down there, you can't write that off. Now, if you had a specific meeting or something, then yes, you could write that off, but not the whole trip. So that's another one. I mean, you really hit on it, Tobin, that they're looking for things that just look weird. So you want like the gentleman that I talked about that I had helped with an audit, things weren't wrong. They were just in the wrong category and it looked weird. And so it triggered it. So you want to make sure you get it where it makes sense. And, you know, your accountant will know how the IRS thinks because they they think in their own way. Um, so that's the big one. And then in the, the the okay. um, when I, I'm going back to one of your to um, the receipts discussion, the best way of tracking. So to use your example of the travel, uh, the receipts are going to be the best way to document and prove that that trip actually was a business trip or mostly a business trip as opposed to, you know, you just took the family on vacation. So right. it's the receipt that is that's that's the level of documentation they're looking for that. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it, it's not that like, you know, print out your calendar for that. We can show all your appointments or something. I mean, it's so easy these days to track stuff. So just do it. And the next one, which I'm going to talk about, there's another thing with that is home office. So I've gotten this question all year. It's like, okay, we're all working from home. Can I take home office? Now, this is one thing that's really nice with being self-employed because actually the home office deduction for W-2 employees has been eliminated. So if you're a W-2 employee, the answer is no. So just... 
And I actually don't feel that because most people actually never got it. It was in a category that was very hard to get. So I asked him, like, yes, you don't get it, but you probably wouldn't have had it anyways. That makes people feel better. But if you are working from home, um, you may be able to claim a home office. There are two um, requirements for this. One is that the space is used regularly for business, which everyone gets now, but it's got to be used exclusively for business. So you can see I have an office. This is just an office, okay? But if this office was in my guest room, they wouldn't really count it. You can't use your dining room table. You can't, you know, so it's got to be a space. Now, I do have people that it's a corner that's just carved out. It's not a very big deduction when you're only taking a little bit of square footage of it. Um, it may not be worth it. But if you have an office, you should take it. Now, it's funny because back when you could actually call the IRS and get through to somebody when they first started this, I actually called. I'm like, okay, so how do you audit this? What are you looking for? What do I need to have clients do it? They are looking for that exclusivity. So what they recommended is if you are taking a home office, you take a photograph of that space every year because there's a good chance by the time you get audited, maybe that room's now a nursery or maybe you've moved or same thing. It's not that hard. Take it on your phone, print it out, or stick it in a, a computer file, and, and you've got it, right? Or if you have a floor plan of your house, show the total square footage because, you know, like, it's not that hard. And, and take the dog bed and everything else out of there to show it's not used for anything else. I mean, it's not that hard to do this, right? But that's an easy one where it's like, it takes, what, five minutes to do this, and it really protects you because that's one where they're like, hmm, you can't really take this. So, um that's a big one now. And it's nice. But just realize, too, that if you do take that home office, when you go to sell that house and you happen to get a profit on it, you will have a taxable gain on that portion of it because it's not your principal resident. It's a home office. So it's been carved out. So you need to just be aware of that you're going to have to recap it. It's still worth doing because you're saving um, federal and state tax and self-employment tax on it. But there is a gain at the other end. So, you know, just weigh it out. For me, I actually don't take a home office because I share the space with my husband and it's a very small space, so it's not worth it. But I have a lot of people take home office. That's that's interesting. We got that in the comments too, that your dining room table, probably not going to be able to do that. It doesn't match, it doesn't fit the exclusivity mm -hmm. rule. But uh, when you do have your home workspace, if you can take a picture and show that it's set up, for your workspace exclusively your workspace you can use that as part of your record keeping so i love yeah, that idea even if audit, they wanted to see a picture in a floor plan yep. because you take the square footage of that space to the square footage of your house and then you can deduct the expenses your household expenses for all those so all of a sudden you're taking personal expenses and making them tax deductible that's an easy one where they you know more you're putting yourself more at risk for a lot of yeah understood so uh, we not. are, we're at number four, if I'm counting right. You are correct. Okay. You told me you weren't a numbers person. <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. So number four is interesting. It's know what to do if you incur a loss. So the IRS, even though most people don't like them, is actually understanding. They realize that it takes a little while for business to get up and running, right? Um, and so... You, if you are running a legitimate business, you are able to take a loss against your other income for two years before they deem it a hobby. Okay, because let's just be real. If if you can afford to keep losing money after two years, it's not a business. You know what I mean? Like that, it, it makes sense, right? So now, um, so that's really nice. Now, in year three, if the IRS believes there's a true profit motive, 
they may allow it. So that could very well come into play for 2020 because maybe you were getting going and you were great and you had all these things booked and all of a sudden it disappeared. So that's where they go back to all these things we're talking about. They look at, you know, how is it set up? How much time are you spending on it? Do you have other income sources or is this your sole source of income? Is it like pleasurable for you or is it really business? And if you have all those things and they're documented, then you may very well be able to do it. And they're probably not going to question it. But if you keep doing it, you're going to get questions that, you know, like two years is enough, which I think is actually really generous and realistic. Um, you know, if you can afford to keep spending money, it's not a business. So, but that one's really good. Um, and even on kind of a side business, if you're doing it legit, they give you some time, but especially with a side business, like I said, if they have, if you have another source of income and you just keep losing money on the side, you like, you know, so that's a big one. And, and this I imagine is decided at the, um, how do I want to say this? So the corporate entity level is eligible for those two years. So if you are an entrepreneur with a company that under, you know, th this has been my story. So in, we have a company, my wife and I set up a company years ago and we've done different projects through this company as, as we've shifted and reinvented ourselves. Uh, the work is different, almost constitutes a new business, but it was the same corporate entity. And that is where the two years is being applied, correct? Not just right. the- well, I, I deal mostly with um, sole proprietors and single member LLCs. Now with corporations, it depends on your um, at-risk basis in there. So there may be different rules with that. But yes, so that's the thing. It's actually two out of five years. So if you've been profitable five years and then you pivot and kind of do something else, so you do have that two-year window again. Oh, okay. Interesting. Then it's two out of five years. So that window keeps kind of shifting along because um, people's businesses shift. You know? Yeah, I think more so than ever before in, in this new world that we're living in, people are uh, pivoting, I think was the word of the year for 2020, right? And it's yeah. not just in the pandemic. It's, it's also in an accelerated world where there's more technology coming in, uh, new channels, new social media platforms. Like there's just all, all, uh, all different ways that could impact it, the work that we've been doing so that we constantly are reinventing ourselves or leveling up is how I like to think of it, getting better at what we do, which sometimes means moving into new spaces. So yeah, this is great to know. Great background. And this is all where I talk about. It's I'm trying to give you information so you can talk to your accountant and say, does this apply? Can they do this? And don't ask just a tax season time. Talk when you're deciding whether you're going to pivot or not to see what's doable so that like maybe you will get that tax savings from the the um, thing. Now, and, and just like I told people, too, the goal is to make money. I mean, yes, you can deduct a loss, but you still lost money, right? So don't forget that. It's like, that's not the goal. The goal is to actually have to pay tax because right. you're making money, but just to pay the least amount you have to. Sometimes people forget that a lot. It's not a bad thing. Yeah, 100%. We, we want to be paying a lot of in taxes when we know that it's a, uh, it comes with having a very successful business as well. Right, right. it's all mindset, right? <laughs> Super. Uh, anything else on number four? Or are we shifting to no, five? I think we're good on that one. Okay. So the last one I think is really important is, um, you know, one thing that's really unique when you become self-employed is that there is not a source of withholding. So like with the, the United States is on a pay-as-you-go system. So you have to pay in throughout the year, which most people are not even aware of because they just get their paycheck and it's taken out. So they're like, oh, can you imagine if we all just could pay in in April? Like, it would be a disaster because people can't manage their money. Like, it would be terrible, right? But when you're self-employed, 
I think one of the hardest things about starting to be self-employed is the psychological mindset shift of you're getting the gross amount and you have to pay everything out. Like then people are like, oh, I'm getting all this money. I'm like, yeah, most of that's not yours. Like just, you know, like 40% of it's not just, you know, and that's really hard for people. I mean, that's a big one. Even like law partners are like, oh, this is not, you know, it's like they see these big numbers. I'm like, no, 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 no. Um, so um, the government says you have to pay it in. Well, if you don't have a source of withholding like a W-2, you have to pay what's called estimated taxes or you're going to get a penalty, right? So then the question is, how much do I have to pay? Because people have balances due. Like, how do you know how much to pay, right? So the government gives you uh, the choice of two thresholds. You have to pay in either the lower of 100% of your prior year's tax. So for this year, it'd be 100% of 2019 tax. And it's 110% if you made over 150,000, okay? Or 90% of your current year's tax. So in the past, we would just use that 100, 110% because most people's income just kept growing. Well, this year, <laughs> right? So you kind of have to look at it. And if you don't pay that in, you're gonna get a penalty, which is um, calculated by quarter. So you can't just pay it all in in the fourth quarter and think you're, you might have a refund and still get a penalty because you can't just pay it in for you have to pay in some each way now there are ways that if your income is not steady you can pay it in based on what you made and I think it's worth it to pay someone to help you with some of those uh, but you do have to pay it in the other thing is you want to make sure that you do everything on time your tax return and your payments because people aren't aware of this the penalty for like late filing of your tax return is 10 times this underpayment penalty so like, even if you can't pay it, send it in on time or get that extension. The IRS is great. There's um, payment plans, there's installment plans, very low cost that you can do. I do not recommend putting things on a credit card that is like not good because whatever cash back order gain is gonna be completely wiped out. One, you're paying the credit card fees, the IRS not paying them. It just, it's not worth it. So talking, but don't let the inability to pay impact your inability to file. Um, and the other thing that's really important for everybody to remember is an extension is not an extension of time to pay. It's only extension of time to file. So my gut says that we are going to have a different tax deadline this year. They're talking about this big tax bill and they're talking about changing the child tax credit and they're going to have to change the forms and, uh, and they're going to send out stimulus checks. So like, oh my gosh, this is just crazy. Um, so whatever that date is, um, do that. Now, one thing to keep in mind for 2020 is they, um, the IRS didn't make first and second quarter payments due till July 15th, which normally is due April and June. So make sure if you are self-employed that your accountant's doing that correctly. And states did it differently. So like my state in Illinois, you still have to pay in April. I'm like, really? Like, <laughs> you know, some of the states had it, some states don't. I mean, so don't forget. So make sure you pay them in. Uh, they're due April 15th, June 15th. September 15th and January 15th of the following year. Um, a good accountant should send out reminders about them. Um, and what's great now is um, all the states and the federal government have online portals. I strongly encourage you to use those as opposed to sending in a check. You can even schedule the payments in advance on there, which is really nice. And then you have a record of what you paid. Just make sure when you pay in through anything, or if you have any correspondence with um, any taxing authority, you use the social security number of the taxpayer listed first on your return. So even though I'm the self-employed person, when I send those in, I use my husband's social security number because he's the primary taxpayer on our account, our joint account. 
And you want to make sure it gets credited to the right account so you don't have a problem. And make sure you pick the right tax year because sometimes like in January or you get further, you know, you're making a payment for 2020 and you're halfway through 2021. Make sure you put it in the right tax year because you can fix it. That's not easy to do at all. Um, so that's a big one because you just, you want to understand how much you're going to have to pay, manage it, set aside, you know, and people say, oh, I put 30% aside for tax or whatever. That's great, but you actually have to pay it. Don't forget to pay it. In. Um, and, you know, that I always tell people too, how you pay it is based on how you're going to sleep best at night. So some people pay in more than they need to. Like, I, I think it's best to just pay what you need to avoid the penalty, know what you're going to have to do and have the use of that money until April. Some people don't like that. So we just spread it out. You know, it's whatever works for you, but understanding and making that choice for you should be a discussion you're having with your accountant on there. I do think if you're self-employed, you really need a strong accountant. That's not just a return preparer, but like as an advisor for you. Yeah, I, th I think that's the big thing that I've taken away from this is that because of the different state and local jurisdictions, now the federal taxes as well, th these rules are changing around you. The, the ground is shifting. So having someone in your corner that that can uh, give you guidance and not just at tax time, but throughout the year to, to maximize your opportunities and minimize the p potential penalties that we've talked about as well. Um, Lisa, what are the last, you know, what are the big thoughts here that you, as we start to wrap up, um, you know, we've primarily focused on sole proprietors, the self-employed, um, you know, this is different than the W-2, the employees who are going to be limited on, you know, I, I quite often when I talk with entrepreneurs, I say, look, you, you want to have something going on the side. There's tax advantages for one, but also you don't want to be dependent on that one source of income that might go away as it did for a lot of people this past year. So th what this has done, not just my recommendation, but this whole world has, we are seeing more people entering the entrepreneurial space than ever before. Um, you've given us some great ideas today to, to these five items that they can think about. Um, what's next? What else? And, and I'd like to make sure we hit your uh, website in the course as well again, so folks can find that resource. So um, we talked about it. I mean, I have my class that's on there. This was kind of a preview of what I cover. Um, and then one thing that I'm really excited about is doing um, more speaking and teaching. So I would love to do more like financial wellness seminars for companies or organizations, because I think as you and I talked about, like it's really stressful for employees. So to bring me in to talk about, you know, you're a law partner, how do taxes change when you become a partner? your specific situation but in general that is worth paying someone to come in because then your team is going to be more focused on work because they are less stressed about their personal situation i have worked with corporate ceos that make gazillions of dollars and can run successful companies and have no clue about their taxes because they weren't taught about it so i just think that that opportunity to teach and speak even the stuff that we're talking about it is one i love it but two it's an equalizer right? So like the more you can learn or teach people whatever you're good at, the more we can all have control of our own situation. So anything that's like that, I, I love speaking and teaching about this. More tax return season sucks. I mean, let's just get real. It sucks. Like nobody likes it, right? But the, the class, if you go to my website, that's um, just my Lisa Nice. So there is um, information on me, my speaking. There's information. There's a tab on the entrepreneurs class. I started a YouTube channel with like little tidbits of what I post on 
um, LinkedIn. I'm getting over my fear of being on video. Um, <laughs> I, I think you're. I think you're doing really well. So yeah, I, I wouldn't have guessed that. Um, the the other site that you shared was takingontaxestogether.com as well. So Lisa Nicer.com, and that's nicer with N I S E R. Uh, but also taking on taxes together.com either yeah. either yeah. and on that taking on taxes homepage there's a link um, where you can sign up for my email newsletter and I'm only sending out information where there's actually something useful you're not going to get something from me every week it's not there but um, I, there was something interesting that I want to just highlight that I just learned about yesterday and I get information from my organizations all the time but there's a very cool tax credit for self-employed people. Um, that is available for 2020 and 2021. So if you had to take time away from work, like a normal person would take a leave to either because you had to quarantine or you had COVID or you had to care for a family member, there is a credit that's available up to $5,000 um, that you need to ask your account about. Now, you may or may not qualify, but there's information on it. But I wasn't even aware of this because, you know, the last tax bill, it was 5,600 pages. Do you think anyone knows any, like, I don't think they should be allowed to vote on something because they've read it. Well, I think we're living in unprecedented times and that that is driving, you know, the the, the tax code has always been a uh, challenge. Uh, but this is this seems to be, you know, we're in a different time and, and people are facing we're, we're trying to address it, I think, in the best way possible. So uh, that's a that's great information to know if someone was affected by uh, COVID that they may actually have an additional deduction there. Again, you will want to ask your accountant about that because if you may not qualify. Lisa, this has been great. Th this is such timely information because we're in it right now. It's the month of February when you're, we're recording this. Um, people, you know, tax, tax uh, filings are coming up, but, you know, with your corporation or with your sole proprietorship, You've got tax filings throughout the year, so this has to be on the top of your mind. We wanted to talk about saving money on your taxes, which everyone's excited about that. That's a sexy topic. But also, how do you get your house in order so you can avoid that dreaded audit that comes when you aren't doing things the way you should be? So, uh, Lisa, very much appreciate you taking the time and, and spending some time with us to, uh, to talk about this and share your background, your years of experience in this space, and helping folks get ready for what they need to do with their own filings. Oh, I love it. Thank you for having me on. Yeah, and we love having you part of uh, the Book of Experts community. Folks, if you're not familiar with us, it's bookofexperts.com. That's going to be easy to remember, but go go check it out. We've got expert-based entrepreneurs in all different categories. So we've got uh, coaches and consultants and B2B service providers and agency owners and you name it. There's over 60 different categories. And if that's you, we'd love to connect with you because our mission, our goal is to actually meet the experts out there who are doing the real work, the subject matter experts who are making this world a better place and help boost your visibility, help understand what you're doing. And part of what we do is making introductions and referrals as well. So we'd love to talk with you more about that. And uh, Lisa, thank you again for taking a little bit of time with us today. My pleasure.